Welcome to The Pharmacists Are In, a podcast made for pharmacists by pharmacists, hosted by John Papasturjo. John is a frontline community pharmacist owner, assistant professor at the School of Pharmacy at both the University of Toronto and University of Waterloo, and an internationally recognized speaker, author, and researcher. Today's guest is Debbie Rigby, who has practiced in hospital pharmacy for 20 years. Debbie initially specialized in oncology. Later, she practiced as a drug information specialist in the hospital environment. Debbie was also recently nominated as one of the 12 agenda setters in the Australian pharmacy sector. Join John and Debbie as they discuss the place of Australian pharmacy as one of the world leaders in expanded scope, from immunizations and medication reviews to advocacy on pharmacists' prescribing rights. Learn how Australian pharmacists take on new and exciting responsibilities. Debbie's long history as a pharmacist offers up insight on how to succeed in scope expansion. Pull up a seat and let's get started. This time I'm here with uh, Debbie Rigby from Australia. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to have you here. So uh, I love FIP. You get to talk to people from all over the world. It's a, it's a really awesome scene. And, uh, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about pharmacy practice in Australia. Well, I think listening to um, conversations and presentations here at FIP, it's, it's pretty much the same the world over. Um, I think we've got some real advantages uh, in our funding of various uh, programs and services uh, through, through what's called the Community Pharmacy Agreement, which is an agreement between uh, the government and negotiated by the Pharmacy Guild, which represents pharmacy owners. But um, uh, there's a whole range of services. The one that I guess that I've been most involved with is home medicine reviews. Okay. And prior to that uh, is residential medication management reviews, RMRs. Yeah, I, I remember early in my career, you know, started to dabble in practice research. A lot of the papers I would pull were from Australia. Mm, so like, right. I think of Australia being a little bit of ahead of most countries and, and reimbursement definitely a part of it. But before we get to that, how about your career specifically? Community pharmacist, hospital pharmacist, what exactly yeah, do you do? A bit of everything, yeah. really. <laughs> I always say, uh, especially to students or younger pharmacists, it's um, I wouldn't have imagined what I do as a pharmacist when I graduated 40 years ago. So my career's sort of been two halves. The first 20 years, um, mainly in hospital pharmacy. Mm -hmm. So uh, I started there, I was sort of specialised as an oncology pharmacist okay. for a number of years. And then I had children or started having children and went back uh, sort of part-time doing drug information in, in a couple of different hospital okay. departments. So I think that ignited my passion and for drug information, for knowing the literature, knowing the evidence, applying and sure. interpreting the evidence um, there. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you said you didn't imagine what you'd be, same with me, I mean, yeah. I entered, I thought I was going to be a, a hospital pharmacist for sure. I said, well, that's where all the good clinical work's done, that's where I'm going to go. Mm -hmm. I found in a couple of years, I was really felt, like in, in Canada especially, I felt in hospital, I was really restricted as to what I could do. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I'd have a good idea, but there's a hundred committees you'd have to go yeah, through and whatnot. Right. Yeah. So then I ended up in community and then you know, I started to take all those little things I learned in hospital and I started mm. to apply them to mm. community. And I said, wow, this is like a, you know, a blank slate here. I could pretty much do whatever I want. And it just 
snowballed from there. I mean, we're here doing a podcast today, but I mean, <laughs> my students ask me, they're like, how did you get involved? And I go, really, you don't know, it just happens, you know? Yeah. And I think the message I have for them is don't pass on these opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And check a lot, like, try different things. I mean, you may think you're gonna do one thing, but end up totally somewhere mm. else. But are you, are you still as passionate about the profession? I know worldwide we've had a lot of drug reform, you know, you hear about some of the challenges pharmacists are facing. Uh, you know, being in in the profession for so long, are you still excited about it? I, I am actually. Um, we've just had this uh, sort of a, a poll in Australia mm -hmm. through one of our pharmacy journals and, and uh, media where the readers, you know, there's about 30,000 pharmacists in Australia. Oh, okay. Um, and readers of this daily e-newsletter type thing had to nominate the agenda setters in pharmacy. Um, so, you know, it's like any vote, it's a, a bit of a populist vote, but also just recognising the people that are setting the agenda, doing different things, being innovative, making the most of opportunities, as you say. And I guess I was very privileged to be one of the oh, 12 congrats, people yeah. that were uh, nominated. And it was a, such a mix of um, different age groups, different practice settings, but people that are doing interesting things, innovative things in different workplaces, you know, the hospitals, community. Uh, I work in a general practice as well, and that's really kicking off in Australia now, sort of following the, the UK model to some degree, as, as well as the Canadian, what they've been doing. So, um, yeah, I think there are lots of opportunities. There's lots of people trying to hold on to the past. Sure. Um, I know in Australia, when I first started the you know, owning a pharmacy really was a license for money, sure. yeah. <laughs> but the remuneration is nowhere near relatively the same. Um, and the expectations of consumers, of the health system, of uh, interactions with GPs has really shifted, and I think that's good. Yeah, I think the trend worldwide now and what we're seeing is that, you know, dispensing margins are just eroding. Hmm. So, I mean, if you're caught in that old mentality and you touch the... You, you just can't make up for it anymore. Yeah. So it's about looking at new scope, you know, reinventing ourselves a little bit. Uh, um, I, I think that's the only way forward. Uh, uh, it's a quick race to zero, I think, in pharmacy Absolutely. margins. We've lost in Ontario this year about $200 million, I think, in drug reform. And it's not the end. Next mm. year we'll get more. Yeah. Uh, the way we're responding is centralization. So the dispensing service is going to be totally centralized. We already centralized compliance packs. I think refills will come next. What I tell the, the young pharmacists is, listen, if you're tied to dispensing, you got to really rethink, you know, what mm. you want to do. Because I think that that day-to-day -day dispensing task, it's gone. Mm. I mean... Uh, well, we've got a lot of uh, robots in Australia sure. now. Most mm. of the, certainly the bigger pharmacies would have robots. And, um, uh, you know, that does take away mm. that sort of technical role. Um, but it allows us to focus on the clinical role, the communication with with patients, um, interactions with prescribers, with GPs. How is the scope of practice? Uh, could pharmacists, uh, say, prescribe in Australia, or could they immunise? Like, what, what are they doing? Just in recent years, as in the last two years, I think, uh, we've had immunisation. Um, a lot of opposition from the medical organisations, but... Uh, you know, reality is, and we have a national immunisation program, okay. 
uh, where various children as well as older people and other sort of specific groups of people will get their immunisation for free, so including influenza, influenza vaccine. But uh, doing the immunisation through community pharmacies has really um, picked up a whole cohort of people sure. that haven't been, especially the flu vaccine, but also, like, for example, I've um, just become a, a grandmother and you know, getting your right. whooping cough mm -hmm. uh, booster is as a grandparent. So, um, you know, that's, it's filling the gap rather than taking sure. over. Um, we saw, we have data too now. Uh, I did some work in this area where we didn't really take away from the physician. No. If you look, they're, they're, the net amount of vaccines is still the same for them. We just added to it. Mm. And it seems like this anywhere in the world, it's the same thing. We're going to get some pushback, pushback. In the end, it just kind of gets accepted, right? Yeah. So I think pharmacists as a group, I think we've always historically been a little bit kind of more calm. You know, we don't like a lot of, uh, you know, opposition. But the reality is, I mean, we're doing the right thing for the public, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's population health. That's it. Statistics. Um, we're just going through, uh, we don't have pharmacists prescribing uh, in Australia, but there's certainly been a lot of research, a lot of uh, advocacy um, uh, around that. And I, our current uh, president of our pharmaceutical society has set a goal that by 2020, pharmacists oh. will have uh, prescribing Oh, wow, rights. that's pretty, yeah, it's yeah, not too far so away. Not eh? that far see, away. I, see, in Canada, again, it, it depends what jurisdiction you're in. So in Alberta, pharmacists mm. have full prescribing. In Ontario, we're able to adapt prescriptions and whatnot, but not prescribe. Other provinces now have minor ailment prescribing. So it seems mm -hmm. it starts, you know, one way and then kind of builds up to that. But I mean, you know, ideally, that's where we all want to get. I mean, it's going to take a while, but 2020, that's cool, ambitious mm. too. Mm. Yeah, it's awesome. You touched early on a little bit on home visits, and I'm really interested in mm -hmm. that because uh, uh, I did some work early on in my career, and Australia kept popping up every time I looked at home visits. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it's actually 20 years now. Um, I was offered uh, an opportunity to do um, work in some uh, nursing homes, we call them, or uh, aged care facilities. And that was back in 94, 1994. And it was a different funding mechanism uh, to the aged care facilities by the government. And it was on an annual basis. And if they hadn't used up their funding, they lost it. Sure. So we had an innovative, it was actually an accountant to aged care facilities. And he said, you know, what can you do in the nursing home? And initially we were giving lectures you know, to staff as well as to residents. Um, and then I said, I guess, from my uh, hospital background of doing medication reviews and chart reviews, I just started sort of, sort of you know, look at um, uh, the, the charts and what uh, patients or residents uh, were taking and started doing medication reviews. And we certainly had uh, some pushback from uh, GPs. But, and then in 1997, and went, that grew, so we myself and another pharmacist, we actually had about 6,000 beds that we were um, servicing, going out to see. And then in 1997, we had government funding for it. Um, and that continued to grow. Um, we had another half a dozen pharmacists doing it. And, you know, and then I thought, what about people in the community? Um, 
you know, we know back even back then we were starting to talk about an ageing population and chronic disease burden. And uh, 2001, we um, uh, negotiated funding. It was really a pilot. I was involved in the very first pilot, um, peer reviewing and mentoring the community pharmacists that were doing it. So that established a, a research base, um, a cost effectiveness. And uh, as I said, the funding started and at first it was relatively small amounts of money, but as it, it rolled out and we did further cost benefit allowance uh, evaluation, it just grew. And you know, the funding now is uh, pretty good, I think, commensurate for the type of work, the number of hours and the responsibility. We get um, in Ontario, we have, it sounds like you're a pioneer in this area because I think we, you know, came much after that, but we get paid $150 to go do a home visit now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it accounts for the time to get to the homes. Yeah. It's always longer than you think, I think. Yeah. You get to some of these homes and you think you're going to turn around a half an hour. It never happens because, mm -hmm. you know, once the patient, I find, gets comfortable enough with you yeah, being there, absolutely. They, they pull out everything. You must have some interesting stories. And, and the dynamics change. You're in their yes. home. And even though, because I don't work in a community pharmacy, most of the time, vast majority of the time, I don't know the person. Yes. So you're invited into their home, and I think that's very special. Oh, yeah. And the dynamics change, and I start the conversation, whether it's about the weather or the football mm. or their cute little dog or yeah. something, you know, just trying to connect with people so they... Uh, and they, then let them tell their story. Sure. Rather than just, uh, that's, I guess I've changed, you know, I've been doing it for 18 years now. Um, uh, I used to delve straight into the drugs, but now I start with saying, you know, do you have any concerns around your medicines? And some of them just, yeah, you are there for an hour because they want to, but you pick up so much Spunch. stuff, seriously. And uh, You must have some good stories. Yeah, yeah. I've got some good stories. One of the stories that I uh, say a lot, um, is uh, I'm on quite a number of committees and I was actually in Canberra, our um, capital of, of Australia, in a restaurant in Canberra and I actually just went to the bathroom and the then health minister was there too. So I introduced myself to her and uh, she asked what I was doing and um, then I told a story and it was a real story the day before I was in an elderly lady's home and um, she was on warfarin, an anticoagulant. Uh, and she, um, so I asked where does she store her drugs and she had a little dog. So she had this you know, bundle of medicines she was taking, including her warfarin and including the dog's heart wound tablets. So it turned out she was taking the dog's heart wound no tablets. Way. and and. The dog was getting, the little dog was getting her warfarin. People don't get, and you, the only way you're going to figure yeah, that out absolutely. is if you go to their homes. Yeah. We call it like, we, we call them hidden in home kind yeah. of DRPs or drug therapy problems. But same thing with us. Yeah. We would go into these homes and like, I couldn't believe the stuff we were finding. Patients would have their neighbor's medications yeah. labeled with their name. And they're like, oh, my neighbor gave me to this. I had a guy, he was, um, he had asthma. 
And his neighbor had told him if he had crushed his uh, osteoporosis meds mm. and inhaled them, it helped with his asthma. And that's what the guy was doing. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. One of the things in Ontario that we have to do is we got to do part of the medication review to get the reimbursement. You have to do a medication cabinet clean out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have to bring this stuff back. Like, my guys come back with bags yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And you got to get consent. A lot of times the seniors will be pull it all out and then they're like you know what i don't want to part with it i'm like what do you think it's like from the 80s right yeah, yeah, yeah. but they they, they get really attached to some of these things but i wish more and in our experience in ontario is the reimbursements there pharmacists still haven't fully embraced them it's been a few years they there's a group that will do it and they do it very frequently but there's still this group that's hesitant i don't know if it's you know the challenge of setting it up maybe we're not used to getting out of but what are some tips? I mean, you know, as someone that's been doing it for so long, if you're a new pharmacist and you want to kind of jump into this as a new area of practice, what would you tell them? I think, um, well, be confident in your knowledge for a start. Uh, I go in with an attitude that I'm going to learn from the patient. You know, learn how they cope every day living with these chronic diseases, taking, in many cases, so many medicines, including complementary medicines that they'll buy from you know, health food shops and pharmacies. Uh, I think the biggest lesson le- we've learnt in Australia is to establish the relationship with the GP, with yeah. the general practitioner. Don't just go in there and, I mean, with our home medicine reviews, you have to have a referral from the GP. Okay. But with the aged care facility, the RMRs, uh, you could just, you had a contract with the nursing home and you did it. But, and that created a little bit of angst with the GPs because initially they weren't funded for responding or interacting with you. So we learnt that lesson. So when HMRs started, the GPs also got a fund, uh, a certain That's amount great. of money. And it was really, you know, money for writing a referral, but yeah. nevertheless, it it really helped it take off. Yeah, open the door. Um, so building that relationship with GPs and, and you know, sometimes you just have to get one win with them yeah. for them to see the value. And often it's not about inappropriate prescribing, it's about what the patient's doing right. in their home. Yeah. Whether it's an compl- adherence, compliance issue, the, you know, taking the neighbour's medicines, the yeah. dog's medicines, the complementary medicines. Yeah. Or not taking their own. Yeah, for us um, in Ontario, we're limited to homebound patients right now. So they're patients that couldn't otherwise come to the community uh, pharmacy. So we had done some early work. We kind of, you know, we published that paper probably about five years ago. And on average, pharmacists were identifying, I think, something like three or four DTPs Mm -hmm. per patient. During that time, we kind of had this hypothesis because as we were enrolling patients for that study, there was like a group of patients, they weren't homebound. A lot of times you could tell they were probably worse than the homebound patients because mm-hmm. they didn't have community care services coming in. They didn't have caregivers. So we kind of had this idea, what would happen if we went into the homes of those patients? So there are ambulatory still coming to the pharmacy, but you just know there's more going on with that base. So we ended up in this paper we just submitted actually was funded by Canadian Foundation for Pharmacy. And what we found, that group was actually worse off. Mm. We identified more DTPs and it's because they really had no one else like mm. watching over That's them, right? right? Yeah. So. I think, you know, you touched on it, and I really believe it. You get into that home, and it doesn't matter who it is, you're going to find something. And I'm hoping they open up reimbursement, but it's going to be, it's you know, the money's I, I can honestly say, I've probably, I used to keep 
a real track of it, but I've probably done about 10,000 HMRs. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And I can honestly say that I've always felt I added value to the patient, yeah. to the GP, found something that helped the patient just living with these chronic diseases, taking medicines, um, uh, inappropriate prescribing, um, um, sort of prescribing cascade where they see multiple doctors uh, and prescribed one drug to treat the side effect of another drug, drug interactions, which is another one of my interests, um, uh, identifying that, but also giving the GP a solution. What are the options? Well, how can you manage that drug inter interaction? Maybe change it um, to an alternate drug that's not going to interact. Um, and then similarly, the, the list of drugs that the GP gives me in the referral, again, is 100% yeah. of the time has not been accurate. That's right, yeah, no, huge opportunity. Kind of switch gears a little bit. One of the other things I know, because you've done a ton of practice research, you're interested in this, so am I. We sit on a, a committee where we have kind of like-minded pharmacists that are interested in research, expanding scope uh, together. Wait, like, how do we get more community pharmacists doing this? I, historically, a lot of the research came out of the hospital setting, and that's great, or the academia. But, uh, you know, when, you, when we're talking about real-world evidence, how do, we, like, how do we get more pharmacists mm. involved? It's a challenge, and we're all faced by it. Well, everyone's time pool, yeah, and I think problem. that's a challenge, especially for community pharmacists. Um, we have, uh, I guess, with our undergraduate um, pharmacy degrees, they have QUM placements, quality use medicine placements. And I know I've used over the years these students that might be there for a six-week placement to do start to do some of that practice. Uh, practice research, whether it's a, a survey or something really specific. Mm. Um, I'm also an asthma educator, so I've had a lot of students to, you know, um, uh, sit down, really assess a patient's inhaler device technique, which quite often people say, oh, yeah, I've used it for years, I know how to use it sort of thing. And we all know nobody uses, 90% nope. of people don't That's, use them properly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, those sort of things. And that starts the enthusiasm and the interest in, in students and then hopefully they can translate that into when they are practicing themselves. But um, I think one of the other things Australia is doing um, is uh, what we call advancing practice. So you can get a credential as and recognition as an advanced practitioner. Well, yes, I've never heard of that actually. And yeah. it's across a number of domains. Um, it's not a you have to submit a portfolio which is assessed by um, trained evaluators, by your peers, and you can be assessed at three different stages. Uh, I was part of the pilot and very fortunate to be in the first 20, 28 in Australia that were assessed as an advanced practitioner. And part of that was um, across a number of competency domains, one of which was research. And now I'm not an academic, I'm, I've been involved with research, but I haven't got a PhD or whatever. Uh, and it was really helping people to understand you can do research, might not lead to a sure. randomised controlled sure. trial or your PhD, but we can all do practice-based research. And it adds so much value. It's funny you said that, because I remember, so I, you know, early in my career, I said, you know, it started my first ever paper. I look back at it now and I'm like, oh man, this Cringe, was horrible. Yeah, like <laughs> how did I even write that? 
but I remember it was a really small kind of study, you know, qualitative study looking at could we do A1C screening in the community pharmacy and what were pharmacists doing with the results. It was a point of care machine, it was called mm -hmm. the A1C Now. And I remember it was just so poorly done, you know, written horribly. I submitted it, it got accepted like that. And now I know the editor of the journal and I asked him back then, he goes, because no one was ever submitting anything. So you get, you get something from community pharmacy, you send it, I guarantee you it's going to get accepted somewhere because there's so you know little work being done mm. from community pharmacists. And to your point, it doesn't have to lead to a randomized trial, but it adds to the body of knowledge out that's there. Right. And yeah. uh, that's so important. So if you had kind of, you know, one message to say to kind of those new pharmacists, you know, we talked about a lot of things, uh, uh, you know, professions changing, what would you tell them? Um. I think make the most of opportunities. You know, things will come along and you think, geez, that's interesting and, and try to embrace it and do it. And I know, you know, we've all got to put, pay mortgages yeah. and put, uh, feed our kids, yeah. etc. But um, if you can make the most of those opportunities when they present and, and, but also networking. I think networking, I'm a bit of a conference junkie. I go to a lot of conferences. I speak at yeah. a lot of uh, Australian conferences uh, here in Glasgow yeah. at a, a magnificent conference with, um, you know, meeting and, and uh, re, you know, creating friendships and colleagues from around the world. So that uh, and the passion for keeping your knowledge up to date, yeah. lifelong learning, you know, drugs, when I started, you know, most of the drugs didn't even exist. So yeah. if all you rely on is what you learnt at uni, you know, you're you not can't. going to become a good practitioner. So, you know, just those opportunities and, and to be the best pharmacist you possibly can. That's a great message. Well, thanks, Debbie. I know you've mentored a lot of students. I consider you one of my mentors. I think, uh, you know, being able to sit and chat with you, I've, I've got a lot out of it. Hopefully our, our listeners enjoyed it as well. And uh, Enjoy the rest of the Congress. I'm sure uh, we'll be on the boat tonight as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Albert. Yeah. Enjoyed it. This podcast was brought to you by IPAC, the International Pharmacist or Anticoagulation Task Force. Visit www.ipact.org for more information.